Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Take your Bibles if you have them and you have light enough to see. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. If not, just turn on your phone and open up the app or the YouVersion Bible. Uh, I'm, the text I'm using today, I'm using the English Standard Version. And so uh, you'll find that in the YouVersion app. You just pick that and tap Matthew chapter 16 and come on down to verse 13. When we say the word church, it is loaded with a ton of challenge. I mean, when we say the word church, I mean, we have all kind of emotions that, that are expended on that. So here's what happens when you say church to many people. It's somebody who will tell you from any past faith, you know what, I didn't really have a good experience as a kid. You know, church, it was, it was rigid, and it was harsh, and it was stale. I felt condemned. I felt, I, I've heard it over and over again. I, I see people on a regular basis get to their late 40s, early 50s, and kind of check out. Now, we like to fuss about why high schoolers don't, and, and college students don't stay at the church. They're not running from the church. Most of them are just running from the organized church they know. They're staying with their faith. They just want it in a different way. But could I just say to you, if you're between 42 and 58, you are leaving church faster than they are. You want to know why? Because we never decided who the church was really supposed to be, and we layered all kind of junk on top of it. And many of us have stories, horrible stories, of how the church wounded us or how we wounded the church. I mean, they're everywhere. I have folks in my office day after day after day with a story. Maybe they, were, they grew up in a Baptist church or a Methodist church or an Episcopal church or a Presbyterian church. They grew up in a Catholic church. They, they were Jewish as they were young. They came out of a Mormon faith. Whatever the story is, we, we find when you say church, man, it is bundled up in America with a big old hot mess, isn't it? And some of you are like me. Church was a great experience. I mean, truly, I, I grew up in, this, uh, in Rhode Island and in Daytona Beach. In Rhode Island, I was baptized in this tiny little church called Green Meadow Baptist Church, and my dad helped start. And really, we would, we would get together, about 200 of us, every week. And when you have like a Southern Baptist church in Rhode Island, you're like, whoa, freaks. I mean, seriously. And uh, I even talked like that at the time. You know, I talked like I was from Boston, you know. And, and really, it was, I moved, I, I, come on. No clap, no nothing on that, no laugh. Thank you, thank you very much. I've been playing here all week. Now, the, when, you, when you go to church and you don't have a good experience, what happens? You don't go back. It's like a restaurant. Everybody tells you, man, you ought to come to this restaurant. It's so good. You go and you order like fried catfish on a Friday night. It's like, dude, that is so awful. What in the world were you thinking eating that food? Didn't work for you, right? And see, I think what happens is we utter church and we bring up a host of things that are in our past or maybe in our present. You know, I, I've been wounded by the church, and I've done some wounding in my church. You know, I've discovered it's full of people who just aren't very perfect. It's kind of the perfect place for folks who aren't. Church brings up a whole host of stuff. Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. And what he's saying to them, he's saying to you and I. Now, sometimes I think preachers take great liberty in that. So I want to take a minute and I want to, I want to connect some dots. I want to go from Matthew 16 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and I want to go back to a couple of places. So we find in the Gospel of John where Jesus is saying to you, if you're following me, you are my disciple. He goes on further and he says in the Great Commission, go out and make what? Say it with me. Disciples. 
I mean, that's his command, go make disciples. So what we know is that as he's talking to the disciples, we see the picture of 12 dudes, right? So he's talking to his disciples, but the message that he's saying is the same to you and I today. If you have said yes to the, to the Lord, if you have said yes to Jesus, he said, I want to trust you for the forgiveness of my sin. I want to trust you for heaven. I want to trust you that you'll be the Lord of my life. You are called a disciple. So Jesus, as he's saying to his disciples, is saying the same thing to you and me today. I don't want you to miss that part right there, because everything Jesus says should have a bearing on who we are as a church, who you are as a person, and how you function as a family. Are you with me? So let's dig in. Matthew chapter 16, let's go to verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, remember who who are disciples? We are. He's talking to us. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So Jesus says, who are they saying I am? When you're hanging out with the dudes, when you're at the Starbucks in downtown Jerusalem, who the folks say I am? When you, when you go to Wendy's down, down in the heart of Jerusalem, you sit down and have a burger and fries, who do those folks say I am? Jesus is saying, when you're out and about and you hang out with your peeps, who do those people say that I am? You know what I found? This first question is relatively easy. I mean, most of the time we find ourselves in saying we, we believe in whatever the crowd believes in. I mean, have you ever noticed how the media can swing a politician's favor? You ever notice that really it's like a media report can change everything about, about one person and the direction they're going in because it's easy to believe what somebody else believes. It's easy to believe in somebody who's charismatic. It's easy to believe in somebody who, who says they do that. But at the end of the day, haven't we all learned that anybody can say anything, but we've got to have a belief of our own. We've got to have something that's rock solid, something that fits on the foundation of our life. This is, wait a minute, when life gets ridiculous, what am I banking on? So Jesus says, what are the folks out there saying about me? He goes on and he says, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, here's the big question, but who do you say I am? Jesus goes from, what do the crowds think? And then he looks at them and I imagine Jesus looking at each of the 12, getting eyeball to eyeball. I mean, really looking at it. It's like when Jenny wants to get my attention, you know what she says to me? All right, she'll, she will say, I need full face attention. And see, if I don't give her that, the next thing, since I wear hearing aids, she'll say, do you have your ears on? You know, and then eventually, if I just kind of get honed in, then she, she gets the message, right? And she kind of delivers it because what she's saying is, what, I, what I'm telling you is you need to retain this, Chuck. This is, going to, this is going to help us. This is good. You need to know this. I believe Jesus is looking at his disciples. And he says, but who do you say that I am today? Jesus is asking them the question, and remember, he's speaking to us as well. He is saying to you, who do you say Jesus is? So immediately, something happens here. Now, I want to make sure you get this. When Jesus says, what do you believe, he couldn't care less about the first question. You see, the first question is kind of warming the boys up. who 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 do all the folks out there say I am? But then he quickly transitions and he says, but now, who do you say I am? Jesus gets to the heart of the matter in a hurry. He goes from what do all the crowds think to what do you think? Could I just say to you, we today, we may gather together as a church, as a family of faith. We may gather together as people who have similar belief systems. At the end of the day, though, when you walk out of this room, it is not about what Sugar Hill Church believes, it's what you believe. It is what you believe about Jesus. When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He's not saying to us as a church, hey, what do you guys at Sugar Hill Church think? What he's saying is, you, who do you think I am? 
And so immediately what happens in verse 16 is Peter, kind of ready, fire, aim. Let's go, Peter. Let's don't, let's don't overthink it, Peter. The guy who just jumps out there and does whatever he does, he says in verse 16, wow, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He didn't think about it. He didn't overthink it. He didn't look for a politically correct st- statement. He just went with you. You are the Messiah who came for me. You are the, the son of the living God who came for me. You are the Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were in a crowd, how many of your crowd that you hang out with would answer like Peter? You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. How many in your circle would utter the name of Jesus at your workplace or at the ball feed when you're there with your kids or maybe in your neighborhood when you gather outside after cutting grass? Is Jesus' name even uttered in that statement or have we blocked him out from everything except 9, 30, 11 on Sunday morning? Jesus does have relevance to the first question, which is what is everybody saying? So I guess I would ask you this. So if you can answer who is Jesus in your heart and you say he's the Messiah, he's the son of the living God, then why aren't we talking about him in those circles out there when Jesus is still saying, what did they say? I think what Jesus is reminding us is, so if you're going to say that Jesus is your Messiah, he is the son of the living God who's come to give you life in abundance today and life eternal, would you utter the name of Jesus when you were out there? What do they say? It should be what the same thing is that we say. He is the Messiah, the son of the living God, the Jesus who came to give me life, who shed his blood for me, that I might have forgiveness for my sins, that I might have life in abundance today and life eternal forever. Peter had the one thing we all seem to miss. Peter got it right. Jesus said, Peter, there's no possible way, no possible way you could have gotten that right. Look in verse 17. Jesus says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, that's speaking to Peter, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Jesus looks at Peter and says, dude, you are so blessed because there's not a book you could have read to get this. You didn't even have a Francis Chan podcast to get this. You didn't have a Chris Tomlin CD. You didn't have lights that don't work. You didn't have anything. He just said, what you got is a heart full of God And because of that, you are blessed. Look what else he says in verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Now literally it means pebble, all right? Now some folks uh, take take this faith system and say, okay, this made Peter the first pope, all right? But but if if Peter was the first pope, then that means that the pebble stayed that way. You see, it wasn't on a man, it was on a God. Jesus is saying to Peter, you're a little pebble, and there's going to be a hundred billion other people that are going to come, and they're going to be pebbles too, and it's going to make a huge rock. And on this rock, the Lord Jesus, we're going to build my church. And Peter, you are blessed. Listen, I would say to you today, are, are you willing to be a pebble? Are you willing to be a, wa- a rock? Is, is, is Jesus at some point in your life, you'd say, I know, I know that I know that he's my Messiah, the son of a living God that's come to give me life and give it to me in abundance today and eternity. Are, are you just kind of in time out waiting for death so then we can go to heaven? I'm just hanging out waiting out. I mean, I'm, I just said yes to Jesus, but dude, I ain't going to rock the boat, not going to move on. Peter just jumps out there. Can you imagine what the other disciples thought? Dude, there you go again, just popping off at the mouth. Why don't you think about this, Peter? And I'm sure Peter had to at some point look back and said, dude, how could you not have said it? We've seen what he's done. We've seen the miracle he's done. We've seen how he loves us. How could you not see that? And then in verse, nine, in verse 18, he says, Peter, 
You're the rock, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Many of you have a, uh, have a verse that in a different translation, says, and the gates of hell will not withstand it, right? And so are gates offensive weapons? I mean, have you ever seen anybody in a movie go to a rumble carrying a gate? These are defensive. Listen, I think what happens is many of us are slipping around the gate and hanging out in hell as under, undercover Christians rather than speaking on the things of God and talking about the power of Christ in our life out there in the world. And we've stayed undercover so long, we don't know what real life with Christ is. Jesus looks at Peter and says, I'm going to build the church and the powers of hell. They can't keep us from doing our thing because he says, I've got you. I'll never leave you. Then it goes on, and I find this so cool in verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Some of you read in your translation, the kingdom of God. It's, it's interchangeable. Jesus is saying, Peter, I know, I know you didn't have like a deep discipleship class that took me deeper in my faith. I know you didn't even have 104.7 of fish, Peter, I know. What you had was a heart full of God. And because of that, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. You say, well, keys. Keys are made to lock things and unlock things. And he goes on, and listen to what Jesus says. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. He's saying to me, to to you and I as disciples, he's saying, I'm going to give you the keys, and these keys are for a purpose. These keys are for a reason, and these keys come with conditions. I was about 16 years old. My dad had this, uh, this pickup truck, and he thought it was the greatest truck on the earth. I mean, you did not mess with dad's truck. I mean, it was a white truck, and he kind of tinkered with it and made it super cool. You know, it wasn't really a nice truck. I mean, it had the plastic mats, and it had that uh, gross old kind of bench seat in it, you know, three-speed on the column and a six-cylinder. My dad thought this thing was unbelievable. He cleaned it several times a week. Dad loved this truck. So mom and dad go on this trip, and they leave me the keys. See, that is not a good idea. Because do you know what keys mean to a 16-year-old? Nothing good. So my dad, knowing that, left me a list of conditions if I were to use the truck. And if I didn't follow those conditions, I would never get the keys to the truck again. Now, in my mind, I thought, come on, I can't be so. So I went and had a little situation. And the little situation turned into a bigger situation. And the bigger situation led me to a place that wasn't really good. And then uh, dad bailed me out of jail. And so, uh, <laughs> as Samantha would say, oopsies. <laughs> so uh, so when, I, when, I got, when mom and dad got back home with me, uh, it, it was proven that I would never drive the truck again, right? I mean, wouldn't you do that if you were a parent? I mean, busted, like totally busted, you know? Well, here's the problem. I wanted the keys I just didn't want the conditions that come with them. You see, most of us want the blessing of God. We want the goodness of God. We want the grace of God. But we forgot that they come to us conditionally. His love is unconditional, but the keys to the kingdom come with conditions. You know what the conditions feel like? Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I need you. I am small compared to you. You are wondrous in front of me. I can do nothing without you, and yet with you I can do all things. The conditions are about to have a heart full of God that says, I am with you because you are for me. 
And I would just look at our lives and I would say to you and to me, how many days do we go through our life fretting and fussing and fuming about things that nobody would care about, especially a holy and a righteous God who would look at us and say, I want to give you the keys to the kingdom. Why are you so stubborn? Why wouldn't you just surrender your life and say, I'm going to do this? He says, in all the gates of hell, all the powers of hell, it, it has no power on you. You see, Jesus looked at this world and loved us unconditionally. He said, I will die for you. I will shed my blood so you can have the forgiveness of your sin. And I will be buried and I'll raise three days later. And I will go to heaven to create a place for you. Jesus talks about heaven in so many weird and wonderful ways. One of them he talks about, we use it at every funeral. We talk about the mansions and glory, right? We talk about the mansions and how cool the mansion is going to be. We talk about streets of gold and gates of pearl and all that stuff. You know why we use some of those metaphorical terms? Because I really believe in my heart Jesus is trying to say to you, you can't flip and imagine what I've got for you if you just choose to follow me, if you just choose to love me, if you just say, I want the keys and I accept the conditions, I love you. And he wants to say, here's the keys, my son. Here's the keys, my daughter. Here's the keys to the kingdom of God. Yet, here we are, kind of flustered and floundering. You say, well, you know, I, 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 I don't know, Chuck. I, I'm kind of afraid of the whole religion thing, and I don't want to get sucked into the whole church thing. And I, Me too. I, I'm with you. And the last thing I want to be get, I don't want to be a part of some religion that calls me to do something more than Jesus. But I, I got to tell you, I... I don't want to be found guilty of not taking Jesus at his, at his word. You see, I really believe what we want you to experience here at Sugar Hill Church, we don't want you to disagree with us. We want you to have this personal and intimate encounter with a God that adores you. He just, he just can't wait to, to hold you and bless you and grow you up and in times that are difficult, let you see him at work in your life and take you through that. I'll never forget, I... One of the, I, I just gotten old enough to where I could drive, and I, I wanted to invite this little girl on a date. Like, I was in a high school, and she was at a cheerleading camp down in Athens. So I, my, my dad gave me a great piece of advice. He said, son, he said, you, you're not big on looks, so take flowers. So, so I went down to a daisy-a-day florist in Snellville, Georgia, and I got a dozen long stem roses, put them in a box, dressed the part, put the right cologne on. Man, I was ready to roll. I go to the football field of a practice field down there at UGA, and I see this little cheerleader walking across the field, and I am scared to death. Ladies, you have no idea what y'all do to us. I mean, seriously, my knees are knocking. I want to wet my britches. It's just nothing's cool, right? I mean, but I have planned in my mind what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm going to say, I really would love for us to go out on a date, and let me give you these flowers. You're just so cute. You know, that's what I meant to say. She came across there with the other cheerleaders. You know, I walked out there boldly, and when I got there, I just totally froze. And instead of those sweet and wonderful worlds, I went, ah! <laughs> Been there? Yeah, yeah. Listen, here's the good news. Here's the great news. Here's the greatest news. You can go to Jesus today with all the stuff you brought in your life and just go, ah! And he says, come on, I got you. Let's set the fear over here. Let's set the worry over there. Come walk with me. I want to give you the keys to the kingdom. And this church 
is evidence of that. Because we're still adding pebbles and rocks, aren't we? So I guess I'd say to you, church, who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus your Messiah? Is he the son of a living God to you? Is he your counselor, your healer? Seriously, is, is he the risen Christ for you? Because you see, it's not about collectively what we at Sugar Hill Church believe. Jesus is going to look at you, and he may be saying it even right now in your heart, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You know, I, I put three bullet points at the bottom of the notes thing, and you can't see it because it's dark in this room, because I was going to ask you questions on a to-do list, and I thought to myself, the last thing we need is one more to-do list. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and Hector's going to start singing. We're going to sing that song, the creed, that we sang a little earlier. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. Today, maybe you would want to say, while we sing, while we pray, God, I I need you. I, I need God the Father, my creator. I need God the Son, my Savior. I need God the Holy Spirit, my keeper. And I want him to rule in my life because I know I need the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Listen, friend, don't, don't play with this. this. This is a high and a holy moment when I believe God speaks into our spirit and into our soul that he might refresh our soul and he might find a soul that needs peace and he might lay all the peace he could on you because he is the only way that we will find that peace. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you, with these sweet folks today, there are folks here today that just need to know you in this intimate and loving relationship. God, would you reveal to them? Would you give them the courage to just say, Jesus, I need you. I love you. I can do nothing without you. God, there are folks in this room who've been believers and followers of Jesus for decades. And Lord, in their circles, the name Jesus isn't uttered. Would you embolden them and give them strength and courage that it would become a natural part of their DNA so that when Jesus asks again, who do those people say? God, create in our heart the ability to be the person who changes the temperature of the room and we bring Jesus into that conversation. God, I believe there's two camps in this room, folks who know you and are walking with you and folks that aren't. God, in every heart, pour out your best on them that we might experience and know the love and the grace of a good, good Father. We pray that in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. Would you stand with me? While you're standing, I think what happens in a church like this is you get to like 11.57 and some dude like me says, would you stand with me? And it's like, okay, we got to go. We got to beat the crowd. We got to get out of here. I'm just going to ask you, just let me have your attention for like three minutes. Whatever you do, don't walk out those doors until you can answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? Because you see, anything less than Jesus and we're just a country club of folks that got together on a Sunday morning and anything more than Jesus then we're just pharisaical hypocrites 
coming up with rules and laws that Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't tell us to do. So today, who do you say Jesus is? Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.